You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I don't see any American dream. I see an American nightmare. We never initiate any violence upon anyone. But if anyone attacks us, we reserve the right to defend ourselves. When you're in your own nation, in your own land, you're in a position to get justice. But when you're in another man's country, in another man's land, you have to look to that other man for justice and you'll never get it. We're nonviolent with people who are nonviolent with us. But we are not nonviolent with anyone who is violent with us. Anytime you beg another man to set you free, you will never be free. We are ready and willing to pay the price that is necessary for freedom. What price are you talking about? The price of freedom is death. Welcome to Make It Plain where we offer Christian reflections on the words and life of Malcolm X. I'm Philip Holmes. And I'm Taylor Gray. So Taylor, I thought it would be helpful for us to open up this uh, podcast to talk a little bit about our experience with um, Malcolm. Talk, talk to me a little bit about um, how you were introduced to Malcolm and what he's, what he's meant to you as a uh, Christian yeah. thinker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, Malcolm is, has been in my life for a, a while, just as an influence, as a presence. And, um, you know, if I were to just kind of condense it to just a particular point in my life where it first started to, to click for me is the age of nine years old. Um, I was raised in a church, a black church, was, um, you know, kind of engulfed in what could be considered black culture at the time. And every now and then my parents would just, we were growing up. And at nine years old, uh, we found ourselves just kind of hanging out together. And my mom popped in a tape of Spike Lee's Malcolm X starring Denzel Washington. And this would uh, obviously eventually become an iconic role for Denzel. But uh, for me, it was really, really formative. It was a a movie that, that kind of captured my attention. And I mean... You, you know the running time is over three hours, but it it held my attention. It was something that um, was was really, really impactful for me. So, you know, I, I guess I'll give you the superficial reason as to why. And that's just because I was a young black kid um, and I and I was <laughs> a person who was wearing glasses, you know, and that may mm. not mean a whole lot to to a lot of you guys, but. You know, there was a time where wearing glasses as a young child was not seen as fashionable, wasn't seen as something that was socially as an accessory of fashion in society. You know, I was a straight up nerd. You know, I was into comic books and all that stuff. So I just came with the whole nerd costume. 
But as a young dude who wore glasses and, and was pretty self-conscious about that, I saw Malcolm X with his signature glasses and it made me look at him differently, ultimately look at myself differently. Here's this bold black man who had stature and uh, impact in his community and society ultimately. And um, it gave me a sense of pride, you know, made me feel like somebody. It, it, it made me rethink whatever visual presentation I had out there, either to my classmates or to the world in general. And uh, Malcolm X, bold, courageous black man who wore his glasses proudly and he's probably just as blind as I am. So um, it made me feel good just to see that kind of an image. That image impacted me very early on. And there were a number of other things that impacted me, but I, I just feel like I want to start there just as a young kid, nine years old, seeing that kind of an example in front of me, uh, that was impactful. And it opened up a whole nother world of, of education and, and um, influence that he would eventually um, begin to shape in me throughout the rest of my life. That's me, man. But what about you, Phil? What kinds of things intrigued you or or when were you first intrigued by Malcolm X? Yeah, man. I was introduced to Malcolm X a lot later uh, in life. As a matter of fact, you know, I, I grew up hearing about Malcolm X, but I never actually studied or read his own words. You know, you get excerpts uh, here and there. You get interviews here and there. You can't really comment or really understand uh, someone as complex mm. uh, as Malcolm X mm -hmm. from yeah. some particular hot take uh, or from descriptions of him that are not based on his own words, mm -hmm. but are mm -hmm. based upon uh, caricatures. And that, and that was kind of my experience with Malcolm. So the first time I heard somebody speak of Malcolm positively, it was actually my wife. The, the first time that I can remember, somebody that I respected, somebody that I knew was a Christian and all that. And she was, you know, she had a Malcolm X poster uh, mm -hmm. in her room. So th there w that was kind of the first time and I was like, huh, I, I guess there's things I don't know about Malcolm. But but never really was curious to kind of learn more at that particular point. I think you uh, were one of the other other people, probably the second person I can remember that I actually respected, that was a believer that said, you know, Malcolm, Malcolm was different, man. Like, you know, and you kind of gave me your perception. I remember we were doing a Instagram live video, mm. maybe, I don't know if it was six months ago. Yeah, it wasn't that long. It wasn't that long ago, though. You was just like, bro, like, uh, so what do you think about Malcolm? And I was like, man, I can't speak on Malcolm. Because uh, I, I knew, yeah. you know, you had called me a different season in life, and I would have probably, like, gave you some caricatures and, and all that. But number one, um, it had become clear to me at that point that I did not know who Malcolm was. Mm. Um, and uh, I had enough maturity to read the room to say, all right, if I start spouting out these yeah. characters about Malcolm X, like I'm about to get embarrassed. And I got to give you props <laughs> for that, bro, because you definitely just kind of took a step back instead of just kind of going right in with the caricatures. Yeah. So, so what I did was, I, I think it was after that moment where I was like, man, I need to pick up this dude biography. And I think the Lawrence Fishburne one had yeah. just come out and that's, that's my dude. So yeah. I was like, this is going to be good. Um, so I, I started listening to the, um, to the autobiography of Malcolm X and I got schooled. Mm. Um, 
Mm. I, I, I learned a lot about his childhood. I learned a lot about how he came to the nation of Islam, you know, and I watched a movie like sure, with sure. Denzel and all that, but, um, you know, movies, you can't really do the guy justice. I, I, I became obsessed with him because I saw a guy, especially during the later, later years of his life that evolved when you begin to see the evolution of his life right before he passed away, and you're just like, this man has been done an injustice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he predicted that much yes. in his book, how he would be perceived. He would be used as a symbol for hatred. I became obsessed with him. So after that, I read two other biographies. The name of that particular one was called Malcolm X, A Life of Reinvention. Mm. Because there, there were some particular parts that, that he that he brings out, and I'm I'm gonna tempt you to go ahead and read it because mm-hmm. uh, I still think it would be helpful. Um, but there were some particular parts that he points out that are not um, necessarily flattering parts mm-hmm. uh, sure, of sure. Malcolm. He's a uh, human being. Yeah, he's a human <laughs> being. So I I, I but his his. Because it it does, it would it does, it doesn't matter to me like one way or the other whether or not it happened, mm-hmm. um, but it was interesting because it was more so based on gossip, mm. not based on definitive proof, mm. which is what a lot of people essentially yeah. critiqued about it. Um, the other one though that I read is uh, more recent is called "The Dead Are Arising," the biography of Malcolm X, and actually that one came out in twenty twenty, late twenty twenty. Yeah, it was written by someone who had more admiration, although he was still very I thought that he was still very thorough. I thought the author did a good job um, in covering everything, but they, I, he, he didn't leave. He didn't keep in the stuff that couldn't be proved definitively, which so, I thought was fair. So, so what I love about what you just articulated there, and of course, the the journey starts with the autobiography of Malcolm X. By, yeah, I think you got to start there. You yeah. got to hear a man in his own words. And then. Yeah, I think that's what's really dope is, OK, so you say you're later in life before you discover who Malcolm X is. But you have done what many people have would not do in that you are going to read the autobiography source material mm-hmm. first but then you're going to read critiques. You're going to read like wide ranging perspective mm-hmm. before you, 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 you start to engage in a broader conversation about who he is and his effect on our society. Yeah. Cause I, I felt like, listen, man, if I tell you about my life, like as honest as I would like to be about every single detail, there are a few things that are going to be just, they're just realities. Yep. I'm going to forget some stuff. Yep. I'm going to intentionally forget some stuff, right? Because <laughs> there's, there's, yeah. there's some things that sometimes, you know, they, I think some things you probably need to learn about people after they die. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think it takes a bold individual to be able to be even as explicit mm. and as honest as he was. But, like, an autobiography is um, a life based on um, – one's perception of who they are mm-hmm. yeah right and yeah. and their perception of events and and you would think that an uh, an autobiography would be the utmost authority yeah that could not be argued with but we all have to recognize that our perception of ourselves um isn't as nuanced as we would like to think i mean that's social media man like yep. we don't we don't tell our our full story if we have control, 
Yeah. You know, we'll we'll filter what we decide to filter and we're not going to give the full uh, unfiltered or just naked view of who we are. Yep. Yep. So I thought that it would be helpful. I was kind of excited because I knew that I was reading two different biographies on top of his autobiography that would be um, probably more um, uh, affirming of Malcolm. Um, and yep. one was going to lean towards a more critical view uh, of Malcolm. Yep. Um, and to be honest, that's those, I still think like, feel like those two descriptions are extremes mm. be, because w- one was just a little bit more willing to say the stuff that others might not necessarily be willing to say, but yeah. the, and the other one obviously had an a- admiration. So even, even, I mean, but I think that's helpful to point out, even though both books were written by scholars, both of them biases are going to be presented. So then you take Malcolm's, Right. Perception of himself. Yeah. You take uh, the more affirming biographer and you take the more uh, critical biographer and you come to your conclusion of who the guy actually was. Um, And I still walked away after all three uh, biographies uh, respecting Malcolm X way more than I did when I didn't know anything about him. Yeah, man. And, And I mean, listen. Again, later in life, you have the opportunity to engage with Malcolm X with a ton of perspectives and belief systems in tow. Like, you know, the things that are, that make you who you are have already kind of started to develop into a mature adulthood. Mm-hmm. And then with that adulthood, you take a nuanced impro- approach about learning about Malcolm X. Right. You take a nuanced approach in learning about Malcolm X. And I think that's really healthy and cool. And, and, and for people on both sides of the train, like those who, who find some, some level of support, you know, or identify with supporting Malcolm X and, and putting him on a pedestal, you know, those who would lionize Malcolm X. Um, and then those who would demonize Malcolm X. Yep. Those two people still, in my opinion, should take the the same approach. You know, make sure that you get the full scope or at least as much as you can in understanding who a person is by, if you can, reading their own words. Yep. And then also exploring critiques and affirmations. So that's that's kind of where I land with the whole thing. I mean, I started off talking about this dude had glasses on and that just drew me in. And I'm a I'm a little kid. But over right. time, as I'm as I'm starting to understand more about who this guy is, rather than just squarely staying in the lionized camp or drifting over to the demonized camp, I think I find myself now in the humanized camp. Yeah, no, that's no, that's a really good that's, man, dude. That's a really good way to say it because I think sometimes if you have too much admiration for a person, or I won't say even too much, I would say more admiration than. Uh, your average Joe, mm-hmm. people accuse you of uh, lionizing a person. Yep, I think based on how you just described uh, your your journey in learning about Malcolm X versus just how our society typically um, doesn't do the work to to understand the whole of a person. Uh, I, I did want to ask you, what do you think this country's perception? of Malcolm X is today? Yeah, man, that's a good question. Well, the the interesting part is that 
I started reading Malcolm in the middle of 2020 during the pandemic and during a lot of the uh, social unrest as it relates to race in America. Yeah, because we're not going to talk about right now, but we're going to eventually get to the point where you probably have experienced firsthand the the demonizing and, and versus the lionizing and people have a perception of you. And 2020 was a crazy year to start processing all of this stuff yep. in light of what we're going through as a country, as we're going, you know, as we're both black men, we're going mm-hmm. through certain things. So, yeah, like that's such I just can't just let that go by quickly. You start processing this in 2020. Yeah, I started processing this in 2020. And there are those people who would say, come on, bro, you late to the game. You should you 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 just waking up. You've been asleep. Right. And then there are other individuals who do their perceptions of Malcolm X are essentially ready to um, excommunicate me, whatever, whatever word you want to. Yep. Uh, use and, and and we'll talk about both of those individuals at some point. But it's driven how people perceive Malcolm X. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah you're right, one hundred percent. So you got the guy who is saying, seriously, you just reading Malcolm X? Like, good for mm-hmm. you. Pat on the back. Like, what you want a cookie, right? <laughs> and then you got the other guy who's saying, you know, why are you quoting Malcolm X favorably, bro? We're like, we need solutions. Mm. I'll I'll start with the latter. Uh, well, to the first one, I'll just say, you know. That perception alone, that arrogance alone that you have shows that you haven't read Malcolm X. Right? Straight up. So I'm, I'm, and and we'll talk about that at some point later, um, maybe in another episode. But the other person who has the more negative perception of Malcolm is is saying, "Hey, we need solutions." Right? Malcolm was clearly one of the problems. Right? He didn't help the civil rights movement. Like, you know, what about Dr. King? We got to have a whole episode where we where we contrast those two individuals because man, I, I've as I've even as I've been learning more about King post the Civil Rights Act, mm-hmm. I that brother was channeling some Malcolm in in a sense, not in the sense of moving away from nonviolence, but I think King was beginning to see the depravity of America in similar ways that Malcolm did. Yeah, the system of America. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So Malcolm says this. Uh, well, f- let's let's go b- real real quick to that to that person that has the negative view, um, especially when they want solutions. You cannot get solutions if we've misdiagnosed the problem. Mm. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Right. That's and exact. if you actually want a true solution, not a comfortable one, right? Because here's the, at the end of the day, if the doctor comes back back to you and tells you that the diagnosis right is simply uh, a common cold, right? You've been sick, or, or or hey, you got the flu, man. But other than that, you're good. We're gonna get you some medicine. You're gonna feel better, right? And send you home. Mm-hmm. And you actually have, I don't know, HIV, right? That's a, yeah. that or that's sure. terminal terminal illness. Yeah. Um, What's what's going to happen? I like happen? that illustration. I like right? Yeah, it works, right? Yeah. Low immune system. I'm just trying to <laughs> off the top of my head. But like what happens, right? Yeah. He may give you some medicine that even may, you know, I'm not a doctor, but it might make you feel better temporarily. Yep. It might make you comfortable. Mm-hmm. But he's sending you home to die. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If you if you just think that if you just keep drinking cough medicine, right? Mm-hmm. If he actually says, listen, you have a cold, 
Mm-hmm. Well, you have the flu, but the reason why you're so susceptible to that is because your immune system is under attack. Mm. And the only way that we're going to fix that, and this is some new world, right? Where we actually have, got the, there's a cure out there somewhere. Uh, Magic yeah. Johnson knows about it. Um, <laughs> and the rest of, rest, rest of the people are trying to figure it out. But, you know, in a world where a, a solution exists, this is what we need to do. But even in a world where the, the, you know, where we can't make it right. And I think that's actually probably closer to reality, to mm-hmm. the, to the analogies, right? Yeah. When you come to this particular issue, he says, Hey, these are some things that are going to have to do. You're going to live a long life, but you're going to have to make some sacrifices. Yeah. And you're going to have to do some things that most people aren't going to do. But for the most part, we're going to try to make it as normal as we possibly can. We're going to try to make you as comfortable as we possibly can. Yeah. But this is your real diagnosis. Which, which one would you prefer? Yeah. Would you prefer the doctor that tells you you got the flu, go home, take some medicine, and when the symptoms come back, just keep drinking that cough medicine? Yeah. Right? Or would you prefer the doctor who says, hey, got some hard news for you. It's HIV. Here's how we're going to treat it. Yeah. Yeah. And I would I would even name our terminal illness or our very debilitating diseases in the vein of racism, social inequity, oppression, injustice. Um, And as it relates to how Malcolm X spoke about these things, the perception people took away in our country from the, the the information and, and even kind of the stances that he took personally, morally, mm-hmm. they looked at him as, as more of, I would say, in a kind way, it could be an anti-hero, but yeah. in, in the worst way, it could be a terrorist, you yeah. know, you know, and, and that's, I think, kind of a general way that Malcolm X was perceived in this country. In the history books, you know, he was, he was a very small footnote in my upbringing, learning American history, he was named, but he wasn't emphasized. And even as he was named, he was named as a cautionary tale, you know, almost to a certain extent. So it it, it would not have been easy to see him within the full spectrum of complexity that you're describing in this country if you were just going through general education about who he was as a figure in history. Mm-hmm. So, like, in this country, I think he's either anti-hero or, or terrorist as, as a general presentation. I mean, man, watching videos on YouTube where he was interviewed by others, a lot of times the interviewers would start out by asking him, you know, why does he preach hate? And, and then he'd have to spend at least the first portion of the interview explaining what he's actually talking about. And instead of taking on the weight of causing other people to be uncomfortable, beginning to (laughs) take the pressure and put it on the interviewer and say, well, do you know what we're experiencing? I'm responding to the conditions that we're actually in. And through the course of the conversation, gradually, in most cases, there's understanding gained. And, And Malcolm speaking to what he's actually saying and why he's actually saying it. Now, that doesn't mean you agree with everything, but from a perception standpoint, if you're not listening to those interviews, if you're not reading his words, then you're left with, I would say, the mainstream response to Malcolm X, which is fear and ultimately um, exclusion from any real important movement that the United States has experienced. 
Yeah. So yeah. that's the country, man. I, I think, you know, what you described, man, like is in the diagnosis element of it. That's that extra step stuff that, man, <laughs> if you've got HIV and you're taking ibuprofen, then, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure how far we're going to get in understanding what we need to do mm-hmm. to experience healing. So the country, what about the church, man? What, what do you think the church How's the church view Malcolm X? And I know that's super, that's super. Yeah. I mean, which part of the church, right? I know. Uh, Are we talking about white Christendom or are we talking about the black church? Um, You know, I I think that most people, uh, regardless of their, their particular like church background, whether they grew up in black church or whether they grew up in white evangelicalism, it is usually going to be negative. Mm. And I think some of that, honestly, had to do with Malcolm's ability to critique much of what he saw coming out of the church with precision. So, yeah, so a lot of people have to remember, you know, that Malcolm grew up in a um, Christian household. Um, His dad was a pastor. Um, He was also a social activist as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And after his dad passed away, he spent a lot of time in the church amongst white Christians in the north. So as he as he kind of be, became his his own person, if you will, he he completely left the church, abandoned Christianity, um, and then once he be, came into the nation of Islam, he associated uh, Christianity uh, with whiteness. Mm, yep, and white supremacy yeah. um, because he perceived it as a religion that had been used uh, to oppress uh, the black man. Yeah. Now, what, what Malcolm, what's, what's clear, especially as, he, as later on in life, he discover, discovers Sunni Islam, mm-hmm. and, he, and he describes and compares, and we're going to do some episodes uh, about that as well, but what becomes super clear is that Malcolm actually didn't understand Christianity. Mm-hmm. He was never introduced to biblical Christianity, which says something, about the Christian Christianity in America mm. as a whole, right? Yeah. And so, so you know, you you, you I, I just can't help but remember that scene in the um, Malcolm X uh, movie directed by Spike Lee, mm-hmm. where you know the, the black Christians are coming out of the church, and Malcolm's yeah. like just gotten out of you know jail, or at least just a scene away from him like getting out of jail, and he's yeah. out there like preaching, yeah. uh, but he's preaching the Nation of Islam's message. And he's essentially saying, you know, you know, you come here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, ain't yep. nothing unchanged. Yep. Uh, come on over. And, but it's it's a part of Malcolm that I thought Denzel got right because Denzel was still very much Denzel in that movie. He he typically is. Yeah, Denzel's Denzel's <laughs> everywhere. But Malcolm had a charm to him mm-hmm. that most people don't don't even think of when they think about even the caricatures of him. Mm-hmm. They, when people think about the caricatures of Malcolm, at least my prejudice towards him was always shaped and created by um, this angry man right. Right. who never smiled right. and who hated white people. You know, yeah. it's just like... Boogeyman. When you actually go back and check out interviews of Malcolm, yeah. the brother was um, articulate and he was... He interviewed well. Yeah. And he and he oftentimes smiled yep. uh, as he spoke because he knew how people perceived him. Yep. They perceived him as the angry black man. 
Yep. He did everything that he could to fight that false perception yep. of him. And even though we have video footage and proof that that wasn't who he was, yep. right? He had strong words, mm-hmm. but that wasn't who he was. That perception is still the perception that the vast majority uh, of not just Americans, but also churchgoers uh, have of him. What about yeah. you? What, your experience with Malcolm in the church? I mean, you know, there there is that question of like, are we talking about like the broader evangelical perception? Because I think we can talk about the black church within that category because a lot of Malcolm's critique of the church as a whole was he, he felt like it was an institution weaponized against the black community yep. to ultimately uh, neuter the black voice and and uh, the black expression of identity. And so there are these ethics and values that were imposed upon black people in terms of our mannerisms and, and ultimately our, our subservient posture in society. He felt like white evangelicals um, had employed as a measurement of religious devotion. So you were devoted to Christ if you were subservient to white people. And he felt like the black church was a mechanism to keep that social order. And I think he, he, he looked at black people who were going to black churches and saying, look, you're just keeping the peace. You're maintaining the status quo. And a lot of that critique could exist up to this day. And, and I think it's, it's valid critique that we could explore another time, but the the perception i agree with you man like i think there was there was fear there was concern there was um avoidance you know because the critiques that he would level upon the church were heavy you know and aggressive like you said you if you're standing outside somebody's after church service you in the parking lot after bro man you ain't playing and in the way like you said denzel's depiction he's like hey man you know i know you tired of all of this stuff okay so your feet hurt nathan (laughs) (laughs) that got you all emotionally riled up and nothing's changed about yourself but to your point about how malcolm was introduced into christian theology um, it's it's something that is is a modern critique now, where it's it's just ideological and it doesn't have application or it doesn't apply in such a way or it's not practiced in such a way to affect society. And I think if he was taught that that Christian theology only leads to a maintenance of oppressive status quo then, you know, the critiques are something that we should pay a little bit more attention to. But at that time, you know, that was was dangerous. It was just flat out dangerous. It was. For black people, but now for for white folks, it was just, you you weren't even conditioned to hear that kind of critique. I think looking at a black person speak that aggressively and and ultimately use language like white devils in interaction as an interaction with faith and a practice of serving God, mm-hmm. you know, for white Christians, that was like an allergic reaction. Like, you know, there's no way, there's nothing reconcilable about that message at right. all. So again, he's demonized. Again, yep. he's seen as a monster as, as the church is developing in that time. And ultimately the way the church exists now 
to not engage with his content or the words that he spoke and, and the legacy that he left, it's still largely the view. The mm-hmm. church the church is afraid of him. Mm-hmm. We could probably step into how the black but, community proceeds or, or perceives him. But I, but what else did you? What else were you thinking well, along two, that line? Two things too uh, in relationship because I think these things overlap. Well, number one, I grew up in the south. You grew up in the north. Mm-hmm. King was from the south. Malcolm was from the north. Mm. Yeah. So when you talk about the broader black community, I mean, because we both grew up in the church, right? Yeah. What <laughs> denomination did you grow up in? Man, we we were um we were Pentecostal. I mean, it was called it, it it was it was its own kind of offshoot of a broader Pentecostal denomination. So it wasn't Kojic or anything like that. No, it wasn't Kojic, no okay. PAW, okay. no Assemblies of God, but it was it was definitely Pentecostal in expression. I got you. I got you. Cool, cool, cool. So so yeah, so but I I wonder if that even was a factor because like it's not like you were like yeah man I love King and Malcolm like you was like mm-hmm, I mean mm-hmm. King's cool but like I'm a Malcolm dude yeah right that was always your kind of initial expression is that fair yeah, yeah. like do yeah. you think that played you think our our you think region played any um role in our yeah. what we were taught I mean looking back now you know, absolutely. Of course, when I was younger, I had no frame of reference as to how the, the South thought. Because the South didn't really know Malcolm like that. We only yeah, saw yeah. what was on the, in the media. I mean, down in, um, you know, in Atlanta, there, there are all kinds of ways to engage with King's legacy. Mm-hmm, you know, right. So in Georgia, throughout the state and, and all across the South, there, I mean, that's where he did a lot of work. You know, and, right. and towards the end of King's life, he started to venture up north. But, you know, what Malcolm represented was in, in kind of a, a really ironically kind of an, an intellectual argument against white supremacy and racism in society. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say ironically is because he wasn't necessarily a scholar. Like he didn't go no, and yeah. venture into academia. Yep. You know, he was pretty much self-taught from prison yep. you know whatever he read and devoured and, and was able to articulate that's what he had and he gave himself wholly to the nation of of islam so i think you know for the for the black community up north there there had to be some sort of an intellectual appeal because the circumstances experienced in the north were very different than the south yep. it was almost an appearance of progressivism and advancement um, and I say appearance of because a lot of times in the North, black folks would fall into some of that same kind of social separation and mm-hmm. and um, disparity that was, you know, not necessarily wide out in the open. You're getting beaten in the street, but you won't have access to certain things. So Malcolm had to approach it not necessarily um from that, you know, direct experience, even though those experiences still happen. Of course, his father was killed. Um, and, and, and yet the way that he engaged with folks is I think he appealed intellectually to audiences up north because he'd be willing to sit down and have the discussion mm-hmm. and he would feel fully equipped to argue against um, what was an oppressive reality, but but for for the black community, I think what Malcolm represented is you know identification. Like he didn't just 
preach to or interact with upper crust black folks or what he would call uppity or bourgeois, mm-hmm. uh, bourgeoisie or yep. whatever you want to call it. He didn't just interact with those kinds of black folks. He was going into the inner cities. Yep. He was going into the places where people were actually suffering, yep. recruiting in those places of of direct experience of suffering, you know? So I think, you know, the black community lifts him up to the highest degree. Uh, As we were talking earlier off, off the mic, you know, I think there, there is an ownership that the black community places on, on Malcolm X, like the, the black community by and large, not saying everyone, but for the most part, owns the image and the legacy of Malcolm X because they felt like he identified with the struggle and ultimately paid the price for it. Wow. You know, so that to me solidifies his place. People see Malcolm and he's automatically a sympathetic figure. He's a person that evokes compassion from black people. He's a person who still evokes inspiration and and a sense of pride, self-worth, self-image, all that stuff. A lot of the things that I felt when I was nine years old still appeal to grown people mm-hmm. now. And even the way he treats black women, you know, and the way he has always spoken highly of black women, you know, that's huge for, yeah. for the black community. So he's loved, widely loved, admired. His perception in the black community, I think, is is set, man. Like, I don't think there's no documentary or book that could come out that could um, cause Malcolm X, to, Malcolm X to fall from that place of importance and prominence in the black community. So when you say black community, right? Because I still think that's regional. It's true. That's true. So yeah, so it'll be helpful for, for, for me to hear from you to say, all right, here's my, I grew up in Ohio, Midwest perspective. What, yeah. what do you say people I interact mean, with down South? It was it was the caricatures. It, mm. I, and I could be wrong. I, I mean, was he I, seen as uppity and and you know? No, not okay. at all. Um, I, I I feel like people didn't know enough to have an informed conversation about him. I mean, because I was I grew up in a in a black public school, right? Mm-hmm. There were I, there were no white people. Uh, so it wasn't anything about white gays. I just don't remember. I, I remember growing up hearing way more about King mm. and very, very little about Malcolm. Mm. Um, Malcolm was what I heard about via television, uh, via posters, sitcoms, like different mm. worlds, right? Yep. But in the classroom, I can't conjure up a memory yeah. about Malcolm. I remember... When I first heard about Jonathan Edwards, mm. right? Mm. Uh, but you know, of course, it was his fire and brimstone sermon, yeah. uh, sinners in the hand of angry God, right? That was a part of like some literature. So I can actually remember that. I remember when um, I first like encountered deism. Mm. I'm just bringing up random stuff. I remember, yeah. But like Malcolm, I I can't. I don't have a concrete memory about Malcolm. So I feel like it was more so like people did not talk about him. You know, you got to think about the South and the North. Mm. Black people in the North are going to be a little bit more diverse religiously mm-hmm. uh, than black people in the South. And black people in the South, even if people aren't necessarily Christian, if you ask them what they believe, especially around the time I was growing up in the 90s and 2000s, they would have said, I'm a Christian. 
Mm. Right. And maybe in the 2000s, it was like, man, I don't go to church. You know, I don't trust them crooks. Mm. Right. And then, yeah. you know, I don't know where it is right now. Uh, I mean, I think the churches, honestly, where I'm from, um, fewer and fewer people are actually attending church. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's only the old heads. Even, even the people my age uh, that are still in the towns aren't really going to church. So, yeah. That's that's something that's really interesting that's taking place in the South. And they're not moving to a particular religion. Mm-hmm. They're just not thinking about religion. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a that's a fascinating point, man, because we, we don't think regionally about how Malcolm would have been perceived in the black community or or in multiple black communities. And I think from from my perspective, it's fascinating because I wonder if someone like Malcolm X could have translated for the South just from a number of perspectives. If it's just like the Bible belt and people were just really serious about church and whatever had been presented as Christianity was just being practiced with no question, no nuance. It was just, you know, I, I do these moral things and it means that I have a tight relationship with Jesus it, Malcolm, yeah, he could have been ag- aggressively rejected, but he also could have just been ignored, you mm-hmm. know. So at the same time, I think a person like Malcolm in his um, passion and in some of the directness of what he had to say, it seemed like it would be dangerous for him to exist even as a an influence in the South because he did speak his mind. He did yeah. speak up and speak often. It doesn't seem like that kind of of um person would have existed as a thought leader or an influencer in the south either at that time or even today so up north you had a lot of people exploring a lot of different ideas so i don't know if we're they walking, had a lot more freedom too yeah to do and, that. and i don't know if we're traveling into a w.e.b du bois versus booker t washington kind i don't of thing. i don't think so but i think that you everything that you just mentioned about malcolm you have to consider like the Civil Rights Act didn't mean much for people in the North. Yeah. 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 Hey, I, I, actually, That's you know practical. what? Like the, the North was already living. Black people the, could still own property. Right. Black people. Yeah. Yeah. Like black people had rights. Yeah. Like black people could vote. Right. Black people had you may, maybe even representation to an extent. And it, it didn't come without this issues. I'm sure there was a lot of like discrimination. So maybe the Civil yeah. Rights Act maybe addressed some discrimination issues that Yep. perhaps for taking place in the North um, because, you know, it, it covers more than just segregation. But at the same time, if you want to talk about somebody who was living in the worst of it, yeah. right, it was the people in the South. And they also had the uh, Ku Klux Klan yep. um, that was terrorizing um, yep. um, re- repeatedly the black community. And so that may even not just King's nonviolence or his Christian ethic, but that may even speak to, um, how careful he was with his words, mm. not to unnecessarily incite. Yeah, and and I think honestly, man, like that's again, it's such a fascinating point to think about this regionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, I think it also brings us to why Malcolm has become so relevant today. Yeah, you know, because some of those elements have dissipated significantly, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of the Ku Klux Klan, open terrorism, lynching and Mm -hmm. burning down houses and things like that. Like that's not as prevalent now, but the systemic arguments dominate the head, the headlines and 
the educational spaces and the social circumstances of people all across the country. And wow. that's specifically where Malcolm made his wheelhouse. Yeah. In the ideological kind of conversations about social change. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's super helpful because if you think about the South being behind as far as uh, rights and the North in the sentence, in some ways being ahead mm. and you look at um, what Malcolm was speaking to, mm-hmm. right. Versus what King was trying to fix, right. With mm. the South being so far behind, yeah. it may, you can't necessarily put them side by side mm-hmm. and, and act as if they were fighting the same battle because mm. they weren't. Now Malcolm cared about black people in the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that. But he was tr- he was he was also ten steps ahead mm-hmm. of black people in the South, not just in the rights that he had. Like I mean, Malcolm, you know, dated a white woman, you know, for and, and this and, and again, that still came with threats, right, yep. of violence and yep. and and all of that. But it was it it was still different than the South, right? The South yep. was still on a whole nother level. Yep. Uh, with that. Yep. So when you look at what what these two individuals had in view. So when the Civil Rights Act, uh, Act came around and people thought that, um, you know, viewed this as progress, Malcolm was like... No, no. I'm, I will never say that progress is being made. If you stick a knife in my back nine inches and pull it out six inches, there's no progress. If you pull it all the way out, that's not progress. The progress is healing the wound that the blow, that the blow made. You have they no- won't even admit the knife is there. Yeah. And that was so much, that's, that's still something, that's the progress, that's the conversation that has not made progress, yes. right? And I think that there was a point in time where King thought that he would be able to um, keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, I just watched the documentary FBI, MLK or MLK FBI. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that, they were ready for King to shut up. Okay, so on that note, listen, we got to save that conversation, yeah, let's have that conversation for another for podcast later. because the Malcolm and Martin contrast is a really interesting discussion. That's a bonus episode. Oh, yeah, man. Especially I got some more questions about King that I still need to research. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. But that's a good conversation. So I think we got out the gate pretty well. Um, you know, just trying to get, get some of the reasons why this matters or why this is important or uh, even beginning to invite people into consider a consideration of Malcolm X is more nuanced. You know, how you do that, um, some of the current factors that are at play, and ultimately, uh, you know, just join in the journey with us. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, well... Thank you guys for listening. Um, we've got so much more. This is just the beginning. So, uh, Phil, appreciate you, bro. Look forward to the next episode. Likewise, bro.